is the Cloud Now Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud Out Podcast. My name is Michael. And my name is Andreas. We are brothers and freelancers focusing on Amazon Web Services. We do technical coaching, for example, for teams that start their journey with AWS, and infrastructure bootstrapping, typically based on our infrastructure as code templates for our clients worldwide. Every other week, we discuss a topic related to AWS here in the podcast. One of us prepares the topic, and the topic is not known to the other one. So this week, um, Andreas has prepared a topic for us, and I have no clue what he's going to talk about. So Andreas, what's the topic today? Yeah, Michael. So I want to continue our series of reviewing AWS services. So we do that from time to time. Our goal is to look at a kind of a newish AWS service and review the current state of that service. And that's typically one of the most popular posts and podcast episodes that we do. And um, I'm happy to do another uh, part of that series. And um, today we do uh, a review of the new HTTP APIs, which is part of the Amazon API Gateway service. Um, so, Michael, um, what do you think about that? Okay, that sounds interesting. Um, I I haven't used them yet. So I was trying to use them um, very early on, but the CloudFormation deployment was not working at this time. Um, so I haven't tried since then. So that's uh, definitely an interesting topic to uh, topic to me. So yeah, I think we can uh, get started, Andreas. Yeah, okay, so let's get started. So um, basically, what is an API gateway? I want to start with that question. So an API gateway basically adds as the front end for your API. So it receives the API requests from your clients, for example, from a web application or uh, what have you. And um, the API gateway is basically yeah, acting as the entry point to your system. And typical features of an API gateway are throttling, billing, authentication and authorization, uh, maybe request validation, sometimes request and response transformation. So these are typical uh, features. Um, but the, the main thing is actually it receives the request from the client and then hands it over to a backend system. So it's acting as the front end for your API. And um, AWS offers different types of API gateways as a managed service. And um, we want to have a look at uh, one service that AWS announced in December 2019. So this is um, now uh, half a year ago, which is called API Gateway HTTP APIs. So um, this is uh, this is new. It is generally available since March, so uh, only three months ago. And what AWS promises is that HTTP APIs are faster and cheaper than uh, the one that we had before, which is called REST API. And um, this review um, is, um, I want to have a look at the technical facts uh, instead of the flowery marketing promises. And so I want to dive a little bit deeper uh, into the HTTP APIs. Okay, Andreas. So you already mentioned that there are different kinds of managed uh, API gateways. So before we get started, could you maybe uh, provide an overview over the 
other options besides API gateway HTTP APIs? Yeah, so that's that's a very good thing, I think, before we start, because it's really confusing. <laughs> the, the naming is very confusing, I think. So um, it started with uh, the API gateway REST APIs. That, that is what AWS calls that service nowadays. And this is the full-feature flagship service to build REST APIs. It was announced in 2015, so five years ago almost, and um, this was the time um, when we started with um, serverless applications based on Lambda. And the API gateway was the service that basically allowed you to um, trigger a Lambda function uh, based on an incoming HTTP request. So this is API gateway REST APIs. Um, then we have um, what we will talk about today, the API gateway HTTP APIs. And as I told you, this is the, the new service with the goal that it is cheaper and faster than the previous version. Um, we will have a look into the details later. And then we have um, API Gateway WebSocket APIs. Um, this was announced in 2018, and it allows you to build a real-time API using WebSockets. So this is no longer REST APIs. It is now based on WebSockets, so it's intended for real-time communication. You can also use it to push messages uh, to a client. Um, so this is another interesting approach. And, and then we have a service that is called AWS AppSync. Um, with AppSync, you can build um, APIs based on GraphQL. Uh, so this is um, uh, a way to build APIs that, I think, Michael, is that correct? It comes from Facebook. Um, yes, that's that's correct. I yeah. Guess. So yeah. So so this is a new way. Um, so another way of building APIs. It's not a REST API. Uh, it's another way of defining APIs. And I think it's fair to say that um, the focus of a GraphQL API is it is basically purposely built for mobile applications. So they care a lot of um, making as. Uh, the least possible requests and they also care a lot about only transferring the data that the client really needs um, so this is an interesting approach as well and it gets very popular um, nowadays as well and then um, there is another way to build apis i don't think it, it is really an api gateway but you can think of it a little bit as an api gateway this is the application load balancer the alb which is a layer 7 load balancer and it also supports, uh, for example, Lambda functions, EC2 instances, container as backends. So it has some similarities with an API gateway, I would say. Okay, Andreas. So I agree that the names are a little bit confusing. So API gateway is now offering two different kinds of uh, API gateways. <laughs> so the REST API style, which is the old one, and the HTTP APIs, which is the, the newer one, which we will discuss here. Yeah, and, and maybe to 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 um, create even more confusion, so you also build REST APIs with the HTTP API, right? So the thing you do is uh, it's the same. But yeah, that's the naming. So uh, API Gateway REST APIs is the old one, HTTP APIs is the new one, and then we have WebSockets as a totally uh, different thing, which is also under, under the same umbrella uh, API Gateway service. Okay, yeah, so I hope this was... <laughs> the benefit is with the name, you know what it's about, but the uh, disadvantage is that it's like, I mean, it's like calling a service text editor, so it's 
Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so so it's it's also really hard to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so search for HDVI, you will maybe not find something related to AWS. Yeah. But okay. Um, so uh, let me then continue with um, how does HTTP APIs work. So first of all, with HTTP APIs, you specify a REST API. So you can do that, for example, by using the OpenAPI uh, 3 specification. Um, so basically, you define, uh, in, in REST terms, you define your resources, you define the method, and um, basically build your REST API out of that. So for example, you define, I have a get method, which is slash account to retrieve the information about an account or something like that. This is what you can do. With that API specification, you can do it with OpenAPI uh, 3, but it's not uh, required. You can also just uh, do it by calling the AWS APIs as well. Um, you define your REST API, and then you can publish your REST API. And this basically results in a publicly available HTTPS endpoint. So this is what um, API Gateway HTTP APIs um, create uh, and, and provide for you. This is this public endpoint. And then um, the HTTP API uh, forwards the incoming request to one of the following backend endpoints. So we have uh, support for Lambda functions. So this is basically important to build serverless applications. You can um, forward the incoming request to any publicly available HTTP endpoint. So this could be your infrastructure running on AWS, for example, an application load balancer or something. It could also be something running somewhere else, and you just use the API gateway as a front end for that. And um, the third option is you can even um, link it with internal services. So it supports internal application load balancers that only have private IP addresses inside of VPC on AWS, uh, or it supports um, ECS with CloudMap. So this is basically the service discovery um, mechanism uh, of ECS. So those are the supported endpoints. And on top of that, um, the HTTP API offers uh, some other features, which is we have authentication based on JWT tokens. So this is for OpenID Connect or uh, OAuth2. Uh, it supports cross-origin resource sharing out of the box, which is important if you build um, web applications that talk to an API in, uh, in, in the back uh, in the in the um, uh, to yeah, to fetch data and stuff and you have um, that is similar to the rest API you have you can deploy stages to have different versions of your rest API running in parallel or having different environments for example a test environment production environment and so on and it supports custom domain names. So you can bring your own domain name, um, create a certificate for that, and then you can talk to that API with that domain name. Well, I have, um, sorry, I have one question regarding the uh, integration of the internal load balancer. So do you know how it works? So is it also like the, the API gateway, the REST API style works by creating a, um, a private link? So your, your load balancer, and, and it, I think it, I'm not sure if it, also works with application load balancer these days but if it's a network load balancer then you have to create a private link and then you can connect it do you know how it works with the http apis is it also like a big problem or is it easy to configure 
Um, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't tried it. But as far as I remember from the documentation, it, it's it, it is working in the same way. Yeah, it also uses the VPC um, link. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's working similar. So what is not po possible, yeah, you cannot build a private API with the HTTP APIs. Um, so that is a feature that is not available um, with the new service. And that is maybe something that I have to say at the beginning now. Um, the HTTP API um, does, not, does not come with all the features that the REST API comes with. So there are a lot of features that are missing. Um, when you watch the talks from reInvent or uh, listen to people talking from AWS talking about HTTP APIs, they promise that they will catch up with all the features in the future. But nowadays, um, the feature set is limited, very limited compared to the REST API um, implementation on, on AWS. Okay, I see. Okay, so um, I want to continue with uh, having a look at the two main promises um, of HTTP APIs. Um, what are the promises? Do you remember them, Michael? Um, I think it's cheaper and it's faster. So, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> exactly. So that's basically the two promises. And that is, yeah, that's a good thing to do, right? Uh, provide a cheaper service that is even faster. Okay, so I had a deeper look into that. Um, so in general, it is correct that HTTP APIs are cheaper than REST APIs. So API Gateway um, in those two different flavors, uh, HTTP APIs are cheaper. And... Um, you can say that um, you, can, uh, have, you can have a cost reduction by 70%, basically, on HTTP API um, costs compared to a REST API, which is uh, quite a lot, actually. So um, you have to know that um, you pay per request. So uh, 1 million requests cost you $1 with the HTTP API and costs you uh, $3.50 with the REST API. Um, so that is um, definitely important, uh, especially if you have an application uh, with, with a lot of requests, basically. Um, for both, you pay for the outgoing data transfer and uh, you pay uh, nine cents per gigabyte. This is the same for both API options. So what you basically, um, where the cost reduction comes from is the pair request price uh, of your API. Uh, uh, but there is a catch uh, to it. Um, so you have to know that HTTP APIs meters uh, a request in uh, 512 kilobyte increments. That means uh, if you send a request with uh, 513 kilobytes, um, you will pay for two requests, actually. Um, so also important to know here is you this is calculated based on the, the request and also the response. So the data that you transfer uh, for both. And what that results in is if you have many requests um, that um, transfer more than uh, 1,536 kilobytes per request and response, HTTP API will even be more expensive than a REST API. Uh, so that is something you have to consider. Um, so probably most scenarios have um, API requests and responses uh, which fit into the 512 kilobyte. Um, but if you, I don't know, build an API, for example, to transfer analytics data or stuff like that, um, 
you might run into the problem that you then even pay more than you had uh, with uh, the REST API. Okay, so in summary, um, pricing, yeah, it is cheaper than the REST API. All you have to um, take into consideration is if you build an API where you have to transfer a lot of data, then this becomes important. Um, then I had uh, a look into the promise of is the new API, the HTTP API, is it really faster? Uh, so um, does it reduce the latency compared to a REST API? And to do so, I did a simple uh, test setup. So I created an HTTP API with a Lambda function integration and a REST API with a Lambda function integration. Uh, the Lambda function was just returning a static response. And um, I also created an EC2 instance, an M5 large instance um, that was running K6, which is a load testing tool um, to run a simple load test um, on both API uh, options, so HTTP and REST APIs. And um, what you can say is um, around about um, HTTP APIs reduce latency by something like 16%. On average, um, so I also have some numbers for the 90th percentile and the 95th percentile, um, if you're interested. Um, there will be a link to the blog post um, that covers the same topic in the show notes of this podcast episode. So if you're interested into more details and more numbers, uh, you can check that out. Um, so what is important for our podcast now is, yeah, we reduced the latency by something about uh, 16%. Um, which is uh, actually um, something, it is something like uh, two milliseconds, which is, I think, uh, excellent. Okay, so I think we can say that uh, if you switch to the HTTP API, you save around uh, around about two milliseconds, and depending on how long the, I mean, the, the relative um, savings rate depends heavily on how long the request needs for processing, but... Yes. Um, so that, that I mean, that the hard fact is that it's two milliseconds faster compared to the REST API. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that, that is absolutely true. So that is the important fact um, because, yeah, you probably need to fetch data from DynamoDB or what have you. And this is probably taking much, much longer than um, the processing on the HTTP API. But yeah, it's about uh, two milliseconds um, faster. Um, the question is, of course, <laughs> so that is something I thought about is, okay, so HTTPI is not feature complete yet. There is a lot to cover. And what happens when AWS implements all those features? Because I think most of that features will add some latency to, to, to the processing. So um, let's see if, if that really continues uh, to be the case in the future. Okay. Uh, so that is maybe interesting to watch uh, with every new feature release they do. Um, do they still keep up with that latency improvement? Yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so so what what we can say is um, with latency, AWS fully um, delivers on their promise to build uh, faster or a, an API with less latency um, than we had before. So REST APIs uh, come with a built-in cache. And um, what is important to know here is that caching for REST APIs, so the old API style, is charged by provisioned memory size an hour. So it starts with uh, $15 for 512 megabyte, and it's up to um, 2,700 
dollars for um, 237 gigabyte per month. Um, so this is a way that you can cache um, requests on the API gateway. HTTP APIs do not provide a built-in caching layer. Um, so I don't think that is really um, that that's not really that big of a problem because you can use, for example, CloudFront in front of your HTTP API to cache requests as well. And um, CloudFront does not come with a, a monthly base fee. Instead, there you pay per request and for the data transfer. Um, so that is maybe an option um, that you can use CloudFront to cache uh, requests there. Okay, and I mean, if you really want to have more control, you could still, like in your Lambda function, like in your application, you could still uh, integrate with uh, Redis or Memcache and and do your own caching. Uh, no. that, yeah, that's another that's another option, of course. Yeah, and um, there is also maybe something that is really technical details now, but um, the REST APIs come in two different options. You can have them regional, and what AWS calls edge. Um, when, when you deploy it with the Edge option, the REST API, uh, AWS uses the Edge locations that also are used for CloudFront, a content delivery network, um, basically to make sure that incoming traffic enters the network controlled by AWS uh, faster so that you can reduce your latencies. Um, so this might be... Uh, this is a feature that also is only available for REST APIs. Uh, when you want it when you want to build something similar with HTTP APIs, you could use uh, Cloud Frontier as well, which basically is uh, a very similar uh, thing with the, with the um, difference that CloudFront caches at the edge and the REST API by default um, does not cache at the edge. Uh, it caches uh, on the region uh, level. So that is maybe the differences. But of course, you can mix all those together so you can actually get every every combination for HTTP APIs and REST APIs as well. Um, but yeah, it's just important to know that uh, the, the built-in caching is, is missing for HTTP APIs here. Okay, I want to um, continue with um, the developer experience. So um, when introducing the HTTP APIs, AWS also said we focused on simplifying the process for developers to build their APIs. And uh, one thing they did is a feature that is called Quick Create. Um, Quick Create allows you to really simply create an HTTP API that forwards all requests to a single endpoint. So for example, a single Lambda function, which is probably the, the most important use case for HTTP APIs as serverless applications. So with just a few lines of CloudFormation or Terraform code, you can set up an API gateway uh, and define the target, which can be a Lambda function. Uh, so then what AWS is doing is they provision you an HTTP API, um, they do a default stage, they do a default deployment, and they just send all requests to that Lambda function. So this is basically, you have that Lambda proxy functionality you get just the, the request just all the data from the request just comes in uh, at the lambda function as an event and you can process it there um, and uh, return the response to the api gateway so this is really simple you just need uh, four lines of code 
to create your API gateway uh, and um, it forwards the request to your Lambda function. So I think this is a very good thing for very simple um, serverless applications where you just have a few uh, resources and methods and you want to get that running quickly uh, and without configuring an API gateway and understand all the uh, things that you need to understand to configure a REST API, for example. So I really like that. Um, I think it is useful in, in many scenarios where you just need a very simple API endpoint. Um, besides that, um, the HTTP APIs um, allow you to import and export um, your API in the OpenAPI 3 specification. And um, when, you, when you did the same with REST APIs, you already know um, the so-called AWS extensions for OpenAPI. Um, this is some extensions that AWS provides that you can use to yeah, define request response validation in Amazon style to build integrations with Lambda functions and stuff. So this is basically the specific feature set for AWS and the HTTP API supports parts of that specification as well. So if you are familiar with that from the REST API, you can use the same for the HTTP API. Um, we have a, a source code example in the blog post. So just click uh, a link in the show notes and, and have a look into an open API specification example and also a CloudFormation snippet. Um, so personally, I'm not a really big fan of mixing infrastructure as code with the API specification. So I think when you mix um, the API, the plain API specification that you also maybe want to share um, with developers or you want to publish that uh, even um, to the internet to allow third parties to integrate with your service. I don't really, I'm not a too big fan of mixing um, parts of your infrastructure configuration into that API specification as well. And it has been um, creating me a lot of headaches um, when using REST APIs with open API specification. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm maybe not too big of a fan of, of that mechanism here with the HTTP APIs. Um, what is interesting, I think, is the approach that AWS AppSync uh, is using here. So the GraphQL um, API gateway service and maybe Michael, so because you have used that service a lot, maybe you can explain a little bit um, how, uh, how AppSync uh, does the API specification and configuration thing. Yes, so... I think the main difference is that uh, with AppSync, you have your GraphQL schema where you define um, your mutations and queries. So queries is kind of the get request um, of the um, uh, REST API and mutation is uh, like everything that like put, uh, post, delete. So everything that changes data as a mutation. Um, and your schema only contains the possible mutations and um, and queries but there's no connection to the Lambda function, for example, that provides the functionality. So the functionality is mapped to the schema um, outside of the schema by addressing the names in the schema. So the, if, you, if you look at the, the schema, you will not uh, recognize that it is um, somehow connected to AppSync. The only exception is, um, and they introduced um, annotations, everything that starts with at AWS is an uh, annotation for AppSync. So they kind of mix that and now you can also do some uh, configuration inside the schema that that affects AppSync. So 
Yeah, but the poor, like the pure way that you configure it is that you have a separate configuration where you uh, kind of link into the, the GraphQL schema by using names. So you have somehow to uh, make sure that the names really exist and that's validated um, by the AppSync service. So yeah, it's it's not that intermixed than what you receive with uh, the, uh, the specification like the API, uh, open API spec that is used for um, HTTP APIs. Yeah, but it uh, still with the annotations, they kind of mix things also in the AppSync world. So yeah, let's see how that uh, develops. Okay, so so when I understand it correctly, so they started with you had really plain GraphQL syntax to define your API, and you did the integration with Lambda, for example, by then in a second step configuring um, AppSync your AppSync gateway. Um, so you really had um, that separated. Um, that is that is what I would really prefer here. But yeah, that's how it is. So maybe some maybe that's a personal opinion, but yeah. Okay, um, so any questions, Michael, or can I, can I proceed with the missing features of the HTTP APIs? Um, so I think you can um, proceed. So maybe, I'm not sure if you can answer these questions, but um, how hard is it to, um, like if I have an existing uh, REST API, so how hard is it to convert into an HTTP API? So is the API spec, like is the, the or like the extensions that AWS has, is this different uh, or is the extensions the same? So is the, do I need to change anything in the XA Amazon uh, properties or how compatible is it? Yeah, so, so the Amazon extensions for Open API are the same. But the problem here is that HTTP API do not support most of them yet. <laughs> because that are all missing features. Um, so what the, what you can is you can export your existing REST API, the Open API specification, download that, and then import that when creating an HTTP API. And what they have in place is they have a validation, and they basically tell you we cannot import this list uh, of extensions. Um, for example, there is no request and response validation or no transformation and stuff like that. So I think that it really depends on your API gateway and how heavily you have used um, those features uh, of the REST API. Um, in theory, you can uh, migrate by exporting and importing, but I think in practice you will have um, some troubles with uh, features that are not supported with the HTTP API gateway at least yet okay i see so i think to understand how easy it is to migrate we have to continue with the next um, topic which you already mentioned the missing features the missing features yeah i think that is important um so i had a look at the missing features and of course aws announced that as a service only six months ago and they promised to um, deliver the missing features compared to the rest api um, but I still think it is important to have an overview of what is missing. And I think there are also some very important things that are missing. And I want to start with them. So I want to start with the missing features I think um, are the most important. So <clears throat> when you use an AWS API, so for example, the EC2 API or something like that, um, there is always rate limiting in place. 
So with your AWS account, you can only send, I don't know, 1,000 requests per second or something like that. Sometimes it is even less <laughs> than that. And this is something that is really very important when building an API. You have to rate limit the request to your system. And if, if possible, you do that by account, tenant, user, uh, whatever you have in your system to make sure that uh, a single customer basically does not send you too many requests that will bring down your whole system. So uh, I, I can tell an example Michael, or maybe you, maybe you remember it as well. So we had that problem with Marbot. Do you remember that? Yeah. So um, maybe some background information. So Marbot is our um, Slack bot or it um, um, our uh, chat bot that um, you can send AWS alerts to it, like CloudWatch events or uh, CloudWatch alarms, and it then does some parsing and some transformation and sends it to Slack or even Microsoft Teams, um, and. The problem was that we had customers that, for example, connected it to an S3 bucket. So they sent. So every time an object was uploaded, they basically sent us an HTTP request, um, and then we try to f uh, forward this into Slack. And um, this is not going to work if people upload like lots of files per minute. Um, so what we needed is uh, a way to limit the number of uh, alerts someone can send to Marbot per uh, time window. And with uh, the REST API fl flavor of a API Gateway, this is possible. I don't say that it's easy to configure or easy to use, but it is possible. Um, it turns out that it's not that great because there's a limit, so it only works for up to 10,000 um, accounts or users, and then it, it, it starts uh, to, uh, to not work anymore because they then support more than that amount of API keys. Um, but still, it's it's possible for a low number of users and lowest ten thousand uh, around. They they don't really communicate that number, but it turns out people have been able to uh, kind of uh, make the API gateway to increase that up to ten thousand end limit. Um, and you really have to provide all kinds of information if you even go from five hundred to one thousand and in, in the limit increase. So it's 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 really a complicated process that takes a lot of time. Um, yeah, so that's possible with. Um, the API gateway. So basically, you want to make sure that a customer can only send a certain amount of requests per, uh, usually it's per second or per minute, um, because otherwise the whole infrastructure behind that will will run into issues. So. Yeah, I I remember I remember that we had that that issue in our backlog <laughs> for Marbot for month. So I always said, Michael, we postpone implementing the API throttling because it's not really the most important thing to do. And then I remember um, we had an outage really because, as you, as you told, one customer was sending us an extreme amount of requests that basically brought the whole thing um, down. So I think um, this is probably true for every API that, um, that you built. When you do not build in proper throttling, you will end up with a problem <laughs> somewhere in the future because sooner or later someone will send accidentally or even by purpose a very high number of requests to your API and this will then uh, cause uh, a lot of problems. So that is why I think it is really important to have that rate limiting in place. And by the way, it's not only from a technical and scaling point of view, it's also from a cost perspective. Um, because when you build a serverless application and you pay for everything by uh, per request, 
um, then this is also a way someone else can yeah, create uh, a lot of AWS costs in your account by just sending you uh, a lot of requests. So it's really important um, to have that. And um, now I'm coming to, <laughs> to, the, to the problem here. So the HTTP APIs do not provide user or account-based throttling. So there's a throttling on the AWS account level, on the overall thing, um, but that is not really helpful because you cannot turn down the whole thing just because one customer sends you too many requests. So um, I think um, this is a really big thing and it's really a missing feature. And I would even say it is um, not production ready. So you cannot really use an API in production that does not support user and account-based throttling because you will most likely end up uh, in uh, a problem. Yeah, so I agree. And I I can also add that the um, AppSync also does not support um, uh, throttling on a user or account level. They also have the global limit, but not a more specific one. So that's really, uh, I, I don't understand because every time in all of their like white papers, they tell how important it is to throttle requests and then <laughs> yeah. and their new products don't support it. Yeah. yeah, and I also think there is probably, you will probably not find a single AWS API that does not have rate limiting, uh, expect the ones that you pay per request. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I that's mean, it's, it. it's, I mean, we know why, because they don't want to risk that someone takes down everything and by sending lots of requests. So that's why they protect from it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so we should do, we should do, we should be able to do the same. The problem is it's really hard or almost impossible to build that yourself behind the API gateway. I would say it's really complicated to build something like that. Uh, with a lambda function or so so um, not very efficient at least and um, yeah to to continue a little bit with that um, so you could say okay um, that's a missing feature um, uh, but um, there is even another thing uh, that is missing so you could say okay i don't have user and account based throttling uh, so let me use a web application firewall to at least be able to block uh, certain clients to throttle certain clients um, and the, the AWS WAF, the web application firewall that AWS provides, it supports the REST API, but it does not support, surprise, surprise, the HTTP APIs. <laughs> so, so you don't have the option to, I don't know, block certain clients, block certain IP address ranges uh, or certain request types, what have you. Um, you just have a public endpoint and, and anyone on the internet is able to send you requests. So that's that's basically what it is. Um, okay. Um, so let's continue with uh, some other missing features. Um, something else that is missing, and this is something that, that we use for our serverless application, the, the most important one that we have, which is Marbot. Um, um, the HTTP API does not support X-Ray yet. And I think that is really something helpful because X-Ray is, I would say, I would call it application monitoring or distributed application monitoring uh, provided by AWS. And um, the REST API integrates very nicely with X-Ray, uh, uh, but it, HTTP APIs does not. Uh, so with REST APIs, you can visualize very easily uh, what requests are coming in on the API gateway and uh, what's the latency, the error rate and stuff from the API gateway to certain Lambda functions, uh, for example. So that is, from my perspective, perspective, really helpful and I've used it a lot to debug problems, uh, but it's not supported by the HTTP API. 
Okay, so I want to continue uh, with a list um, of features that the HTTP, HTTP API um, comes with, and I want to compare the feature set with um, the REST API uh, API gateway and also with the application load balancer a little bit. And again, this is maybe um, something that is interesting to uh, have a look in, in the written version, so in the blog post uh, that comes with this podcast episode as well. Uh, so I, this is a table of all the features and integrations. And um, uh, now I want to just highlight a few of them uh, so that, um, that I don't get into too many details now um, on the podcast. So um, I think um, something that is interesting is that the HTTP API um, comes with public endpoints. So you can create a public REST API with HTTP APIs, and you can do the same with REST APIs and the application load balancer. What is not yet possible with the HTTP APIs is you cannot do a private endpoint, so an endpoint that is only accessible from your VPC. Um, that is possible with REST APIs and the application load balancer, um, but not yet with the HTTP API. Um, so that might be something interesting. Uh, another thing, um, this is a feature that is special to REST APIs. Um, REST APIs offers so-called AWS service integrations. So because the REST API allows you to transform an incoming request, you can transform an incoming request with the API gateway and send it directly to another AWS service without calling any Lambda functions or running any code on your EC2 instances or containers. Uh, so people have built um, crazy things with that. So you can, for example, directly from the API gateway insert data into DynamoDB uh, or to Kinesis or stuff like that. And this is a very interesting uh, thing. Um, yeah, because you... You just don't have to have any Lambda functions in place uh, that you have to pay for, and that costs latency, of course, as well. Um, so that is something interesting, but it's only available with REST APIs. Neither the HTTP API nor the application load balancer support that. Um, what's also maybe interesting is um, the way the APIs gateway do offer authentication. Um, so... HTTP APIs, REST APIs, and the application load balancer, all of them support Open API Connect. Um, this is um, uh, an easy way to yeah, build authentication for your applications. Um, many, many uh, companies, I, I, see, I see many, many companies and enterprise customers using that nowadays. It's supported by all of those um, types of API gateways. Um, the REST API and the load balancer uh, also um, support uh, uh, an integration with an AWS service, service that is called Cognito. And with Cognito, you can do all kinds of other authentications and do, for example, uh, SAML or use social authentications like Google, Facebook, and so on. Um, so that is something that is missing with the HTTP APIs, uh, for example. Um, what's also maybe interesting is um, REST APIs come with the possibility to build a so-called custom authorizer. So you can implement a Lambda function that basically contains the authentication logic for your system. And um, that is, you can basically integrate the authentication of the REST API into 
anything. And this is only available for REST APIs. It's not available for HTTP APIs yet, and also not for the application load balancer. So that is interesting. So I think in summary, it is fair to say that um, the REST APIs offer the broadest set of features and integrations, and the HTTP APIs are missing a lot of those features at the moment. Um, so that is uh, the thing here. Any questions uh, on that, Michael? Uh, no, I don't think so. But um, it's interesting to see that, I mean, it was kind of expected that there are many uh, features that are not yet supported. But if you plan to create a new application based on an API gateway, you definitely should check out the, the missing features before you start, because otherwise you will run into lots of uh, issues. Yeah. yeah, so this is also from, from what I can tell from my experience. So within the last month, uh, every time I wanted to use the HTTP APIs, there was one feature missing that I really wanted to use that then made me use the oldish REST API instead of the HTTP API. So I think as long as the REST API is available, it's, it's maybe really hard for the HTTP API to gain traction on AWS because you will always find that one missing feature um, that you really want to have that is already available but not in the new product. So yeah, yeah that's pr probably that's probably also why they have the, the goal to to implement all those missing features, of course. Yeah, I think I definitely wait for the throttling feature because otherwise mm. I'm not going to switch out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, I think uh, one, one more thing that I always have a look at when doing reviews is I always have a look at the AWS documentation and the part of it which is the quotas. So this is basically the soft limits and sometimes even hard limits for an AWS service. And this is, I think, the most one of the most important parts of the AWS documentation because when you decide or when you think of using a service, you really have to know about the limits. And uh, yeah, the soft limits are the ones that you might be able to increase by opening an AWS support ticket. Uh, the hard limits uh, are the limits that you typically cannot increase um, yeah, so that's always important to have a look at them. Um, and I had a look at the um, hard limits uh, of the HTTP APIs. Uh, I think the most important ones are um, the integration timeout. So the time the API gateway waits for the backend, Lambda functions, what have you, to respond is 30 seconds. Um, the maximum payload size is 10 megabytes. Um, remember the costs. <laughs> so, so when you really say uh, send payloads with 10 megabytes over HTTP request, it is getting uh, really, really expensive compared to REST API. API just, just to know, uh, to remember that. And um, the request line and header values uh, cannot uh, be more than 10,040 bytes. Um, so that is maybe also important. Um, I think the payload size and integration time is, is definitely the most important here. And by the way, it's the same limitations that apply to REST APIs as well. Yeah, I think that, that limit is definitely interesting for people using JWT tokens. Uh, mm -hmm. Because if you really put lots of, I mean, it's not a good practice to put lots of data into your JWT token, but it's possible. And, and if mm -hmm. the token gets too big, then, I mean, it's sent as a header, as an authorization header, so you can hit that limit. Mm -hmm. big, I mean, it really has to be a big token, but mm. um, yeah, I, I, I saw projects where there was lots of information in the token and they could run into issues with, with those limits. Yeah, But I mean, if you use it like 
with care, then you should be fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think if you build a, a modern serverless application, most of those limits should not really affect you too much. And yeah, they are the same as we have with the REST APIs. So you had to work around those limits before as well. Um, okay, so that is that. Is that. Um, and then I want to end the review with something we do for all of our reviews. And this is the service maturity table. So this is a way we try to, yeah, to, to evaluate the service maturity of a service. And uh, I want to go through that as well. So we have um, 10 different uh, criteria uh, for that. Uh, I start with the ones that um, the HTTP API Uh, fully supports or gets the, the maximum score of a 10. So the score is from zero, um, which is the lowest value, to 10, which is the highest uh, maturity. And I will start with the criteria that um, we have a green check mark on which, which, with, with the highest score. So HTTP API support tags. It support CloudFormation and Terraform support is available. Um, you can use um, the identity and access management policies to control access to your API gateway. It's integrated with AWS config. It's integrated with AWS CloudTrail for auditing. It's available in all commercial regions and you have an SLA uh, for the service. So that, that's all, that is all uh, the score of 10. I think this comes from because uh, it builds upon an already existing service so I think that is, or I don't know, but but that's um, that is um, probably why they detect they detect all those things because it uses uh, a similar API than than other uh, APIs uh, gateways already, and um, the documentation detailedness. So there's almost no documentation available <laughs> for the HTTP APIs. So the the developer guide is yeah is really. The, the bare minimum that you have <laughs> to provide for a service and the API documentation is also yeah that that's the documentation that you generate out of your uh, of your Java classes basically that's what you get uh, feature completeness we discussed that a lot this is also uh, I, I gave that a two as well uh, the same with the documentation detailedness um, I think that is really just at the beginning it's not really mature here um, so that is why I end up with a um, service maturity um, score of seven, uh, which is quite decent, uh, which comes from, yeah, because all these other criteria are uh, implemented and delivered already, which is, uh, which is great on the other side. Yeah, I think that's the first service review where the feature completeness is so low and still the, the, the score is so high. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we have to. Yeah, I think that is also coming from our uh, how the way we calculate the maturity score yeah. well, as well. Of course, it is. Yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, we try to <laughs> evaluate the maturity score. Um, of course, it's not. Um, it's just to give you an idea. Yeah. Okay, Andreas. So um, thanks for uh, all your uh, investigation here and uh, comparing the the two uh, basically the two. A A API gateways that are available. So what I can, maybe I can try to summarize um, how uh, your uh, review, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it, it seems to that HTTP APIs 
uh, might become the new standard for API gateways. So because they are cheaper, uh, usually, like in most cases, they are cheaper. They are a little bit faster. Uh, so that's a good argument to use them. Um, but at the moment, you should definitely uh, watch out for all the missing features. Um, you cannot expect the same features to be available um, than for the REST APIs. And yeah, the biggest problem in my eyes is uh, the, the the throttling. And I, I guess there are many other users who, who might be uh, more concerned about missing authentication and authorization features and things like this. But yeah, for a production-ready uh, application, it's definitely a problem if you cannot throttle the requests on a user level. So yeah, that would be my summary. Yeah, yeah, perfectly. Uh, that's that's the summary I would uh, I would give as well. Um, yeah, so thanks a lot for listening to following that review. So by the way, um, we have reviews of other services as well. So we have RDS Aurora Serverless, we have um, Global Accelerator. So you will find links to those blog posts and sometimes even podcast episodes in the show notes as well if you want, if you like that style of reviewing um, new AWS services. Yeah, so and Andreas, let me maybe mention one thing because we talked a little bit about Marbot here um, in the in the episode uh, because it's a like serverless application that's using the the REST API flavor of API Gateway. But um, if one of our listeners is interested, uh, so what is Marbot? It's basically a way to monitor your AWS account from Slack and Microsoft Teams, and Microsoft Teams is new, so we recently added that integration. So it Marbot helps you to configure the monitoring. So we set up all the rules for you. And we set up CloudWatch alarms, uh, event bridge rules. We set up RDS notifications. And like it's more than 50 sources that, that we connect to. Um, and then if things, if things go wrong, you receive an alert in your chat uh, window, for example, in Slack or in Microsoft Teams. And there you can work with your team to, to solve the, the, the issue and make sure that you're your systems are uh, and stay up and running uh, all the time. So it's yeah a, a nice way to monitor and also um, solve issues that arise inside your AWS account. So if you're interested in in, in, in things like this and want to improve your uh, your uptime, then um, definitely check out Marbot. And um, yeah, you can uh, start um, with a free trial. So for two weeks, so you can check out all the features and see how it works in your team. Okay, Andreas. Yeah, so the, the, the important announcement, Michael, here, maybe to highlight that one more time. So Marbot was uh, available for Slack for many years now, but what we now announce is it is available for Microsoft Teams. So all of you that um, could not be using Marbot uh, in, in the past, you are now able to do so with Microsoft Teams as well. So this is the, the big news here. And you will also find a link to that announcement in the show notes. Okay, Andreas. So I think we are done. And thank you very much for preparing the topic. And um, yeah, I think um, if one of our, um, so a few uh, other um, announcements for our listeners. So feel free to share the episode with uh, a friend or a colleague. And that always helps us to uh, increase the number of listeners to this podcast. And if you are um, a fan of our podcast, then we would really be happy if you would leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you like to listen to podcasts um 
And last but not least, um, if you are new to podcasts, so it's um, the best way to get uh, in, informed if a new episode is available is to subscribe to the podcast. And you can do this in your podcast listener. Um, and a few examples are um, there's Apple Apple Podcasts, um, but there are many other ways to listen to podcasts. You can listen on Spotify and, and there are other uh, apps available. But if you subscribe to the podcast and you get notified if a new episode becomes available, which is every other week in our case. Okay, Andreas. So I think uh, that's it. Thank you very much and talk to you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.